0: Comfortable, well, reasonable as you can be in those chairs. They're mustard, aren't they? They really are. All right, come with me, please, to Psalm 55. Is there a clock in this establishment? Not a clock in the place. We'll have to get a clock. Psalm 55. Verse six, six to eight. So I said, "Oh that I had wings like a dove! I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander off. Sorry, I would wander far off, and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storms and tempest. Oh that I had wings like a dove!" I would fly away and be at rest. All of us, to one degree or another, for some reason or other, or at some time or another, have felt like throwing in the towel. We have felt like the psalmist in Psalm 55 who said, I wish I had wings like a dove because then I would simply fly away. Did you ever feel like flying away? And I don't mean in your holidays. Just getting out from under the load. That's what he felt like. Elijah had those feelings too. After his greatest victory, he ran to the wilderness of Beersheba. And he says, God, it is enough. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Jeremiah, he too one time felt like giving up. He said, Lord, I'm never ever going to preach or prophesy again. I'm finished. I'm done with it. John the Baptist, the depths of doubt and despondency, sent a delegation to Jesus saying, is it really you that should come or do we actually look for another? Peter, he thought his ministry days were over. He said, I'm going fishing as my timepiece has fallen. Do you know what? I thought this pulpit was going to be brilliant, but it's not big enough. So whenever we get to our church, the old one will be reappearing. (laughs) These newly fangled things are no good Sometimes. So why do we feel like that? What brings us to the place where we're looking for a way out instead of a way through? For David, if you read that psalm, you'll see it was the betrayal of his friend. In verse 12 he said, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, my man, my equal, my companion, my acquaintance, We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. And in verse 21, The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. For Elijah, it was the feeling that he alone was the one who was uh, honoring God, defending the honor of God, that there was no one else doing that. For Jeremiah, it was the unrelenting resistance and sometimes complete indifference to his message. Nobody cared for him. Nobody cared what he was preaching or prophesying. They didn't want to hear it. For John the Baptist, it was those waves of doubt that were washing over his soul. Was all that effort, all that sacrifice, all that service was all for nothing? For Peter, it was the feeling of failure the sense that his best days were behind him so what could it be for us what would make us feel like giving up quitting throwing in the towel now i'm not necessarily saying that we want to give up on god or that we want to give up our christianity could be but not necessarily saying that. Maybe your dream, it may be your vision, it may be your hope, it may be something you've longed for, that you've dreamed about, that you've worked towards. But today, fill in the blanks. Why would you want to give up? Well, there's a number of reasons why we want to do that at times. First of all, we want to give up whenever we lose our perspective. All those Bible heroes that we just mentioned, all of them temporarily lost their perspective. It didn't last with them, but temporarily they lost their perspective. Yes, it's true that David had a jealous Saul and he had a treacherous Ahithophel. That's who he was talking about in Psalm 55. He had them to contend with. His own son Absalom had risen up against him, had tried to take the very throne from him. And yet, in spite of all of that, he was Israel's most loved king. He was the greatest greatest king that Israel ever had, and they knew it. If Elijah had known at the time that there were 7,000 that had not bowed the knee to Baal, if he had known that at the time, he probably wouldn't have run away. That would have given him a whole new perspective. But he didn't know it at the time, and he did wrong. For Jeremiah, it was very, very hard for him to continue preaching and prophesying when nobody was listening. What do you do when nobody wants to hear you minister? When nobody cares for your ministry? When you're like the invisible man, what do you do? How do you continue to do that? Well, God had already told them before he started, that's what it would be like. God had told him, you're going to prophesy and they will not listen. They'll put their hands on their ears. They'll be deaf to you. They will not want to hear what you've got to say. But right at that moment, he was tired of it and he was about to give up. Did you ever notice when you concentrate and focus your eyes specifically on something that your peripheral vision kind of gets blurry? Did you ever notice that? That's good to focus on one thing. But it depends what you're focusing on. If you focus on the wrong thing, then all the good things that's happening around you, you'll not see it. You'll be blind to it because you're solely focusing on that one thing. And if it's the negative, it's, if it's the wrong, if it's the thing that wants you to quit and give up, then you miss all the other good things that are happening. Around you, we want to give up whenever we are physically and emotionally weary. Elijah was both. The Bible says he ran to Beersheba from Mount Carmel. Now, you're talking here at least a hundred miles as the crow flies by foot. And so by the time he got to the wilderness of Beersheba, he told his servant to stay here. I'll go a day's journey, which is probably at least 20 miles more. He just wanted to be on his own. And he sat under the broom tree, and he said, Lord, it's enough. Take away my life. I'm no better than my father's. By the time he got there, he was physically and emotionally shattered. He was drained. There was nothing left in the tank. James said that Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. And he was very human. And if you were to read 1 Kings 19, where that event happened, you'll see that God understood how human he was and how that he sent his angel. And he gave him some food to eat, some sustenance to eat for his body, and he gave him some sleep. And then he gave him some encouragement for his soul because that's what he needed. Sometimes we're physically and emotionally drained. We're just tired in so many ways. And at that moment, if you're not careful, that's when the temptation to give up and to quit and to throw in the towel happens. If you can... It's not always possible, but where possible, try not to make a major decision in your life when you're physically and emotionally tired. Because the chances are you'll not make the right one. You'll take the line of least resistance because that's how you feel. Try not to do that. We want to give up whenever we feel that we haven't succeeded. When you've done your best and you've prayed your hardest, and it still hasn't worked out the way you thought it would, that's the moment when you're tempted to give up and to quit. I'll not ask you to put up your hand who's been there, but my guess is that many of you have been there. You've prayed your hardest, you've done your best, and it still hasn't worked out to your satisfaction, and you think, what is the point of it? And you just want to give up and walk away. That's why the scriptures say, having done all, stand. When there's nothing more you can do and you prayed all you can pray, stand. Now, it's important how we stand. And God gives us the armor, spiritual armor to put on. Elijah had done his best. He had prayed his hardest. But still, Ahab and Jezebel were as unrepentant as ever they were. And he thought, that was a waste of time. Nobody has changed. They've seen God in action. They've seen the miraculous. They've seen all of that. And they still haven't changed. In fact, they get worse and they get harder. And they threatened him. And that's when he ran. Jeremiah had done his best. He had prayed his hardest. But the people still mocked and they still scorned him. Till he just wanted to walk away. John the Baptist had done his best. He had prayed his hardest. But he still ended up in prison. And that sense of failure came upon him. He had missed it. Somehow along the way, he'd got it wrong. And now he's in jail. He's in prison. Sense of failure sometimes can make you feel like giving up. But we're not going to give up. Amen? And we're not going to throw the towel in. And we're not going to walk away. Uh, Hebrews 11 is a roll call of men and women who just would not give up. They believed the impossible like Abraham and Sarah. They undertook the insurmountable like Gideon. They embraced the hardships like those at the end of chapter 11. In fact, let me just read that. Hebrews 11 towards the end of that chapter. Verse 35, it says, Women received their dead, raised to life again. But others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskin and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the word was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. In spite of all that they went through, of all of the hardships we just read, they would not give up. They kept on. Abraham Lincoln was arguably America's greatest president. Volumes have been written about the man. Even movies have been made about him. But his life showed, in particular, a man who just would not give up, who did not know how to quit. Consider his career just for a moment. In 1831, he failed in business. In 1832, he was defeated for the legislature. In 1834, he was elected to the legislature. In 1835, his sweetheart died. In 1836, he had a nervous breakdown. In 1838, he was defeated for speaker. In 1840, he was elected for elector. In 1843, he was defeated Sorry, he was defeated for elector. 1843, he was defeated for Congress. 1846, he elected to Congress. 1848, defeated for Congress. 1855, defeated for the Senate. 1856, defeated for Vice President. But in 1860, almost 30 years later, he was elected the President of the United States and became one, if not the greatest one, that there ever has been. He just didn't know how to quit and how to give up. Here's a true story. Greg Azimakola, let me say it again. Greg Azimakopoulos, there's a mouthful for you, isn't it? You try and say that at half eleven Sunday morning. Tells of a commuter flight from Portland, Maine to Boston. The pilot, Henry Dempsey, heard an unusual noise near the rear, rear of the small aircraft. He turned the controls over to his co-pilot and went back to investigate. As he reached the tail section, the plane hit an air pocket and Dempsey was tossed against the rear door. He quickly discovered the source of the mysterious noise. The rear door had not been properly latched prior to takeoff and it flew open and he was instantly sucked out of the jet. The co-pilot seeing the red light that indicated an open door radioed the nearest airport requesting permission to make an emergency landing. He reported that the pilot had fallen out of the plane and he requested a helicopter search of that area of the ocean. After the plane landed they found Henry Dempsey holding on to the outdoor ladder of the aircraft. Somehow he had caught the ladder, held on for 10 minutes as the plane flew at 200 miles an hour at an altitude of 400 feet. And then landing kept his head from hitting the runway. It took airport personnel several minutes to pry Dempsey's fingers from the ladder. <laughs> Things in, in life may feel turbulent, said Azimacalopas. And you may, be fe- you, may feel like, you may not feel like holding on, but have you considered the alternative?" I love this story. Charles Swindle, who tells some wonderful stories. He says, I once heard W.A. Criswell, long-time beloved pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas, tell a story about an evangelist who loved to hunt. And as best as I can recall, the man bought two setter pups that were top-notch bird dogs. He kept them in his backyard where he trained them. And one morning, an ornery little vicious-looking bulldog came shuffling and snorting down the alleyway. He crawled onto the fence into the backyard where the setters spent their days. It was easy to see he meant business. The evangelist's first impulse was to take a setters and lock them in the basement so they wouldn't tear up that little bulldog. But he decided he would just let the little creature learn a lesson he would never forget. Naturally, they got into a scuffle in the backyard. And those two setters... uh, and that bulldog went around and around and around. The little critter finally had enough, so he squeezed onto the fence and took off. All the rest of that day, he whined and he licked his sores. Interestingly, the next day, about the same time, he, here came that same ornery little bulldog back onto the fence and after those setters. Once again, those two bird dogs beat the stuffing out of that little bull-legged animal. and would have chewed him up if he hadn't retreated down the alley. Would you believe it? The very next day he was back. Same time, same station, same results. Once again, after the bulldog had had all that he could take, he crawled back onto the fence and found his way back home to lick his wounds. Well, the evangelist said, I had to leave for a revival meeting. I was gone several weeks, and when I came back, I asked my wife what had happened. She said, honey, you just won't believe what's happened. Every day, at the same time, every morning, that little bulldog came back in the backyard and fought with our two setters. He didn't miss a day. And I want you to know that it has come to the place where when our setters simply hear that bulldog snorting down the alley and spot him sneezing under the fence, they immediately start whining and run down into our basement. (laughs) That little old bulldog struts around our backyard now like he just owns it. (laughs) He just would not give up. (laughs) Somebody says it's not the size of the dog that's in the fight, but it's the size of the fight that's in the dog. That's what counts, isn't it? Let me give you just a few reasons why you shouldn't give up. You shouldn't give up because if God is for us, who can be against us? In Romans chapter 8, Who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sakes we're killed all day long, we're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. God is for us today. And it doesn't matter who, and it doesn't matter what is against us. We're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. God has given us all that we need to win this battle. In Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us very clearly. Finally, my brethren, verse 10 of Ephesians 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of God has given us everything we need to win in the battles of life. When you're tempted to quit, read those portions and say, God, you have equipped me to be able to stand. I may feel weak, I may feel tired, I may feel weary, but I'm going to stand and going to start putting on the armor. And no matter how much life or the devil throws at me, when the dust settles, I'll still be standing by the grace of God because I've got my armor on, and God gives us the strength for the battle. Thirdly, the rewards of victory will be worth it all. There is a reward for victory, you know. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, he said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to those who loved His appearing. Paul kept his eyes on the prize. He looked beyond the present and he saw the prize in the future. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, despised all of that shame and humility uh, of the cross. He despised all of that because he saw the joy that was set before him. And sometimes in the midst of the fight, we can't see past that moment, that day, that hour, that thing, that event. But if we could lift up our eyes above that, see the bigger picture, and see that God is with us, and see that He's given us all we need to win in this battle, and then see the rewards that come with it. There's crowns for us, and I haven't time, and I've done it before, to go into all of the crowns that are for the believers, but there's a crown awaiting us that wins the battle. And then fourthly, you gain nothing, absolutely nothing at all you gain by quitting. Nothing. Nothing. <coughs> Peter said, I go a-fishing. Several of his friends were with him, seven in all, and they all went fishing. Sure, he had seen Christ risen from the dead, but as far as ministry was concerned, you know, during that 40 days that Jesus appeared, he didn't appear every day to them. He appeared on that first day and then he appeared on the eighth day. And then it was a long time before he appeared again. And so there was a whole period to think and to mull over. And he must have come to the conclusion, the ministry's over. I'll never be able to do what i was doing before because the Lord is risen everything's changed, but here we still are. And so he came to the conclusion, I'll go back to doing what I was doing before. I'm comfortable with that. I know how to do that. That was my life before this. And so he said to the disciples, well, I'm just going to go fishing. And they decided, well, they would go with him. You see, if you decide to give up and you decide to quit, you will influence somebody else. Almost certainly you will influence somebody else. Somebody who's maybe on the edge of going one way or another and they're watching you, what are you going to do? And if you give up, the chances are they'll just give up too. And so they went fishing. And they went out all night. And as hard as they fished, they caught nothing. You see, there's no gain by quitting, they caught nothing. And they came back the next morning to the shore more despondent, more miserable. More defeated than they'd ever been, because they had nothing. And who was waiting on the shore? Jesus, the Master. Children, have you caught anything? Nothing. Have you had any food? Can we have any eat? Nothing. And then he gave them some orders and direction. How to catch some fish. And they did catch some fish and they caught a boat-sinking load of fish, a massive catch, and they realized it was the Lord. Just like that first time when he borrowed their boat, and afterwards he sent them out, and they caught a load of fish. You see, when you feel it quitting, or maybe you do quit, and then you realize, do you know what? Has got me nowhere. I'm worse off than before. And you come back to the place and you say, Lord, here I am. And the Lord steps into your life again and he blesses you and he encourages you and he helps you. so you know, after they caught that load of fish, when they came back, they didn't want to fish anymore. <laughs> they didn't want to fish anymore. They just wanted to be with Jesus. And they wanted that ministry that he had for them. And you know, when the day of Pentecost came, as you all know, how they were filled with the Holy Spirit and how they went from that upper room and became mighty evangelists, mighty miracle workers that shook their world from top to bottom. And these were the men who wanted to quit, who wanted to give up. And God has something bigger and greater and better for them. So there's no advantages in giving up or quitting. There's nothing to gain by it. But there's everything to gain by staying with the Lord and sticking to the vision and sticking to your hopes and your dreams. There's everything to gain by it. And the Lord will be with you and He'll strengthen you and He'll help you and He'll encourage you and He'll lift you up. And all we've got to do is make up our minds. I will not quit. Will you say that with me? I will not quit. And when you do that and make up your mind, you're going to do that. Then let's see what happens. Let's see what God does. Because then he steps in and does what you can't do. And your life can take a whole change for the better. Say, David, was there a time in your life where you felt like throwing in the towel? Yes. Absolutely. Been there, got the t-shirt for reasons that you don't need to know. And one time, if I hadn't been for my wife, I probably would have. She sat me down. Sometimes wives have a lot of wisdom, you know. I shouldn't say sometimes. All the time they have. <laughs> and I wasn't thinking straight. My head wasn't Right. And uh, she sat me down and she gave me a few home truths. And do you know that that was a big turning point in my life? It really was. Because I was just about just to say, do you know what? I've had enough of this. And she sat me down. She says, David, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You got your eyes on the wrong thing. And I had, temporarily. And then she tucked some sense into me. And you know what? I never looked back after that. Oh, yes, there's been moments when you're tired and weary, but I never look back after that. I got the perspective right in everything. Amen? Let's pray. So where are you today as we pray? You say, David, I'm in a good place today. Well, thank God. You say, David, I'm encouraged. I'm in a great place. The Lord is good and I'm just excited at what he's doing in my life and what he's doing for my future. Well, thank God for that. But maybe you're not in that place today. Maybe you're in a different place today. Maybe you're saying, well, I don't really know where I am. Not much happening. All my prayers seems to have gone unanswered. My strength seems to have ebbed. Vision is dimmed. Feeling weary and tired. And I'm here to tell you today, God has got something better than that for you. He's got great blessings for you. He's got a future for you. He's got a great plan for your life. But you mustn't quit. You mustn't give up. Old friend of mine, Many years ago, little Alec Schofield, some of you know Alec well, told me one time, he says I was sitting, it was a conference, and he says there were three speakers, and I was one of the three. And he says I was sitting on the platform, the other speaker was speaking, and he says he had just finished to speak, and it was me next to get up and speak. And he says what the congregation didn't know, what nobody knew was, that was my last time for preaching. I had decided, and I told the Lord, Lord, if I could have got out of this, I would have, but I didn't want to let these people down, I'm going to preach one last time, and then that's me finished. I'm done. I'm finished. His health was failing. Things in his life were really failing, and he thought, Lord, I'm just done with it. I can take no more. And he says, as I was sitting there about to get up, he says, this wee woman, never forget her, he says, she had a wee, like a wee black shawl on, And she was elderly and stooped over and she came up and she pointed her wee bony finger at me. And she says, thus saith the Lord, don't you dare quit. (laughs) Don't you dare quit. He says, and almost fell of the chair. He says, nobody, only the Lord and me knew that. And he says, that was a turning point for me. He says, I didn't quit after that. So maybe today could be a turning point for you if this has resonated in your heart, then you take it from me, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you. He's used these words and this message to speak into your heart to get you not to give up, but to keep going on and keep trusting and keep believing, keep the faith, keep praying. Lord, we put this matter into your hands. We've done all that we can do. So we're just going to keep standing. We're not going to lie down or sit down or give up or walk away. We're going to stand. And there we're going to go forward in Jesus' name. Thank you for the future you have planned for us. Thank you that it's bright and it's glorious. Thank you that it's so great and so big that time alone will never be enough to fully implement it. It's going to take all of eternity. So Lord, there's much for us to look forward to. There's much for us, Lord, to be doing. There's much for us, Lord, that you plant. And we give you thanks for everything. So Lord, bless everyone today. And particularly those, Lord, who are struggling. Lord, encourage them. Strengthen them in the inner man. And give them hope. And let their faith rise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.